Good morning. Good morning. Maybe I should put, point uh, myself this way. <laughs> uh, it's nice to see each of you here. Yeah, people are motioning you to go to, come over to the other side. I uh, should say Merry Christmas because we are still in that season and today is the first Sunday of Christmas. So welcome here. It's nice to see each of you. Our message today will be, uh, is called Clothed in Christ, which is another way of saying you are loved. A few reminders as we begin our service. First, as a gift to yourself and your neighbor, as always, we invite you to silence your phones. Next, we continue to observe safety precautions with regard to COVID, so we have sanitizer for your use if you wish to commune at the railing. We also have masks and communables out in the narthex. Our service begins with the gathering hymn, What Child Is This? Number 296 in the red hymnal. Please rise as you are able.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. glory to God in the highest. Sing to the Lord a new song. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Holy God, you wonderfully created the dignity of human nature and yet more wonderfully restored it. In your mercy, let us share the divine life of the one who came to share our humanity, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. At this time, if there are any, I'd like to invite the children forward for our children's sermon. Okay, then you will be the recipients of today's children's sermon.
Over the past month, we have been giving gifts. As a child of God, you have been receiving gifts. Some of those gifts are chocolate, chocolate, and more chocolate. But you've also received uh, other gifts that are of significantly more important importance, and that would include a copy of the Bible for young people. Today, as we continue in a certain season, I would like to ask you, what's in the basket for you? What last gift do I have for you? Well, normally I'd have Amelia here to say treats, but uh, in her absence, I will answer the question. Ornaments, how exciting, how exciting. And I have three of them here, three beautiful little Santa Clauses that you can hang on your tree. Now, why would I be giving you ornaments given that Christmas has already come and gone? Well, the answer is that Christmas is not a day, it's a season. 12 days of Christmas, and we continue to celebrate that season today as we remember and honor the birth of Jesus Christ our Lord, the reason for the season. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for the gifts you give us and for the uh, abilities we can use to give gifts to others on your behalf. We ask that you be with each of us as we conclude the Christmas season and all of us as we enter the new year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You did great. Thank you. Pastor Dan has switched things around a little bit for the readings this morning. And so the um, first reading is going to be from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. Luke's narrative continues with stories that emphasize Jesus' connection to Judaism. His family is devout in its observance of the law and Jesus himself is recognized as one who will bring glory to Israel. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Word of God, word of life. The second reading is from the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul seeks to show the Galatians that the purpose of Christ's birth was to liberate us from the law's condemnation so that we would be fully adopted into God's family as beloved children. A reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has spent the, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child then also an heir through God. Word of God, word of life. Please rise as you are able for the reading of the gospel.
The Holy Gospel according to the prophet Isaiah, the 61st chapter. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, for my whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as, garden, as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you this morning and peace from God the Creator and from God's Son Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. As Susan mentioned and as you heard, I switched the readings. I did that not to trick you or to make you stumble, but for a specific reason that you will know by the end of today's message. Have you ever wondered what the experience was that led Martin Luther to change history by initiating the Protestant Reformation? Was it a thunderstorm? Some of you know the story. Luther was attending law school and found himself caught in a thunderstorm and prayed to St. Anne, the mother of Mary, that uh, if he be spared, he would become a monk. He was spared. One scholar actually claims he was hit by lightning, which might make him say such a thing, but uh, he was spared, and some people believe that was the experience that led to the Protestant Reformation. Note, however, that that experience occurred almost 20 years before Martin Luther wrote his famous 95 Theses, which officially, you might say, began the Reformation in 1517. Maybe it was lust. Maybe it was Luther's desires that led him to initiate the Protestant Reformation. This, after all, is what medieval Catholic polemicists claimed, that Luther began the Protestant Reformation so that he could be married, so that he could be with a woman. Now, the trouble with this claim is that, as I just mentioned, the Reformation began around 1517 when Luther posted his 95 Theses. He didn't get married until 1525, and even then he says it was not of his own choosing. Katie von Bora, 
whose birthday we'll be celebrating later in the month of January, was the one who initiated the relationship. If there was Match or Plenty of Fish or some other dating website back in the 16th century, she's the one who clicked like first. And Luther would later say that uh, initially he wasn't uh, in love with her, but he grew to love her over time. So it seems unlikely that Luther started the Reformation because of lust or because of his experience in a thunderstorm. So what was it? Was it something else? In a moment, I'm going to answer this question by returning to Luther's testimony. But first, context. What was life like in the 16th century? What was life like in the 16th century? Well, as most of you might guess, to use the words of the British philosopher Thomas Hobbes, it was nasty, brutish, and short. Luther himself lived to the ripe old age of 62. That was considered old for the time. It shows us something about the time in which he lived. James Kittleson, a Luther scholar, writes the following. Luther lived in an age of death. Painters, sculptors, and woodcarvers seized on this theme, and the dance of death became one of the most common themes in late medieval art. Like the Pied Piper, the skeletal grim reaper, you bring that to mind, with scythe in hand, led representatives of every social group and class twirling off to their own inevitable end. Because it was an age of death, because death was so pervasive, so widespread, Kittleson claims that it was also an age of fire and brimstone. People interpreted the widespread uh, uh, fact of disease, pestilence, and death as God's wrath or God's punishment in response to human sin. And so they sought ways to regain God's favor and avoid said punishment. Can you name one of them? Well, of course, we have pilgrimages. Uh, several of uh, you, I think, have been on uh, one of the most famous in Spain, pilgrimages to regain God's favor. What else? Indulgences, of course. Indulgences. Now, these are, uh, you might say, promissory notes, that if you pay a certain amount of money, at least as the teaching was in Luther's time, you will receive either uh, the opportunity to do less penance for sin in this life, penance for sin in this life, or you will relieve the suffering of your relatives in purgatory. Um, so what a nice Christmas gift that would be. So we have, uh, we have several now. We have pilgrimages, we have indulgences, and we also have um, prayers and uh, confession. So say a certain prayer and you will regain, as it were, God's favor. My grandfather had, uh, who is Roman Catholic, had uh, an indulgence in his 
Bible. And I share that with you because by the time you get to the 20th century, of course, the indulgence controversy, which the Catholic Church in the middle of the 16th century uh, reject, um, uh, approved, basically, of Luther's criticism that these shouldn't be sold uh, by what are called indulgence hawkers, uh, the indulgence controversy had been settled in that regard, and by the 20th century, of course, it was no longer for uh, payment to relieve oneself or one's loved ones from suffering. Indeed, the spiritual advice from the Catholic Church at Martin Luther's time, given all of these practices or these efforts to obtain spiritual security, is to do what is in your power. How do I find mercy? How do I find salvation? How do I make myself right with God? The Catholic Church, again of the medieval period, says, do what is in your power. I stress medieval period because by the late 20th century, Lutherans and Catholics came to a rough consensus regarding the fundamental doctrine of our faith, namely justification by grace. Do what is within your power, they said. God, as it were, will meet you halfway. Yet for Martin Luther, who lived, as I mentioned, for a monk for 20 years, there was a problem. Luther, you may recall, was trained as a monk in the methods of introspection, which is a, another way of saying he looked not only at the performance of sin, but also the sinful intentions that might lead to such performances. So he knew that within us, everything we desire and claim has some degree of self-interest bound to it. And for that reason, Luther felt even our desire to be saved is born of sin. We want to save our own skins, or we want to save those close to us. So he knew that every, every move in the realm of ethics was tainted by self-interest. And so he asked questions like, how could a person know she or he had ever done enough to satisfy or placate a perfect God? How could a perfect God ever be, be placated by sinful human beings? Here Luther felt trapped. God, it seemed, required of human beings to live to a standard they could not live. It was because of this problem that Luther said he hated God. God is the one who bound us, and yet at the same time, God is the one, it, it would seem, who punished us. Nevertheless, Luther kept searching the Bible for an answer to a way out of this prison. And then, one night, he found it. At last, he writes, I gave heed to the context of the words as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. What? What exactly did Luther discover here? He discovers in his reading of the Apostle Paul that God's righteousness, which is to say God's moral perfection, is ultimately not that by which we are judged. Instead, he found 
God gives us God's righteousness as a gift which we receive through faith. That's it. This is Luther's tower discovery. He realized that good works don't precede salvation. Rather, salvation, being claimed and loved by God, leads, hopefully, to good works. God declares us righteous because of Christ. Now, Luther discovers this because, you may recall, he was a biblical scholar. So he read and translated biblical languages, first Greek and then Hebrew, into into German. What he found in the Apostle Paul is that when Paul speaks in multiple cases of the righteousness of God, the word righteousness can also be translated, I'm sorry, the word of can also be translated as from. So it's the righteousness from God. That single preposition, I love this, changed Western history. You and I wouldn't be here if Luther wasn't a grammarian. You and I wouldn't be here if Luther hadn't recognized in the original Greek that the righteousness of God could also be translated the righteousness from God, a gift from God. To put in another, and I think much more understandable way, God clothes us with Christ and sees us through him. Full stop. God clothes us through Christ and sees us through him. From Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus you are children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Once more, God sees us, or rather clothes us with Christ and sees us through him. Now, there are many other passages like that in the New Testament. Uh, There's one in uh, uh, Colossians 3. There's one in Romans 11. But one will suffice, Galatians 3. God clothes us with righteousness and sees us thereafter through Christ. Now, let's pause here for a second. This is darn good news. This is darn good news. This is incredible news. To say God clothes us in Christ and sees us through him is to say, and these are the words I want you to remember from today's sermon, we are loved. We are loved in spite of our faults unconditionally. We are loved in spite of our faults. And believe me, I know I have many of them. Perhaps you have a few as well. We are loved in spite of our faults unconditionally. Now, we might experience in various ways what it means to be loved. In church, for example, a phrase from a hymn might jump out and speak to us. Or perhaps we experience God's love upon receiving the sacrament of Holy Communion where you need do nothing except put out your hands. Or maybe, and this would be quite a miracle, imagine this, you might experience what it means to be loved through the preaching of the word of grace, which is my call. But the way I know it, in addition to each of these, is through one person, and that person is my mom who, as many of you know, died last January. 
Because of my mom, I know what it's like to be loved. I know what it's like to be loved. I'll never forget moments uh, before, uh, shortly before her death, say six months, a year, where she would do things like if I was working on perfecting a sermon for Queen Anne Lutheran Church, she'd come and put her hands on my shoulders and just say, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Shortly before she died, I told her, I said, Mom, I haven't achieved all the things I want to achieve. There's so much more. I feel like a failure. And she said, I don't love you because of what you've done. I love you because of who you are. My favorite uh, line in this regard for my mom is this. She said, I was proud of you when you were a professor, but I'm prouder of you now that you're a pastor. And I said, why? And she said, because you're nicer. (laughs) This is one way I know that I am loved, through the words and care of a loving parent. Of course, not everyone has the experience of being loved this way by a parent. And I understand that. We live in a fallen world. Parents can be abusive, vindictive, or indifferent. So not everyone has this experience. I feel quite fortunate. And for those of you who have a similar experience, I hope you feel that way too. But because not everyone has this experience, the Bible becomes of great importance. The Bible reminds us constantly that we are loved, that we are loved by God. Consider, for example, Galatians 4, our second reading. You'll note that we were adopted by God, and that, as Paul says at the end of that reading, no longer a slave but a child, and if a child, then also an heir through God. I wrote in the margin here, incredible. We are not by nature God's children. We have strayed away, but God claims us anyway. God embraces us here through the metaphor of adoption. But Isaiah 61, I think, really nails it this morning. Listen to what this author says some 500 years before the writing of the New Testament. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Do you hear the language? He has clothed me. He has covered me with garments of salvation and righteousness. Sound familiar? This is why I always resist when people say the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and the God of the New Testament is a God of love. They've obviously never read Isaiah 61. This is why this text is called the fifth gospel. It's chock full of good news. And there's more of it. Verse 11, for as the earth brings forth its shoots and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring before all the nations. That's the purpose of Israel being chosen. It's not ultimately simply for the sake of Israel that God does this. God does this through Israel as a witness to all the nations. Wow. 
right there in the Old Testament, we have what I consider to be the gospel of our Lord. Gospel, as you know, means good news. When we talk about our denomination as the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the word evangelion in Greek means good news. We're the good news Christians. Or as I like to tell people uh, with whom I meet uh, who are visitors, we're the nicest Christians. And I think the reason we're nice is that we know we're loved. This is what it means to live a life together in faith. Our care and concern for one another is so important, especially if we don't have the parental support I shared with you a few minutes ago. We all need someone in our life who will accept us without judgment. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a sponsor in AA. Maybe it's a fellow churchgoer. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a therapist. Maybe even it's a pastor. These are all people who can be conduits of grace. All people who can mediate God's unconditional love, even without using the language, by accepting us so that we in turn can accept ourselves. Think again about the story I said to my, I, I shared with you about my mom. She didn't love me because of the things I've done. She loved me for the person I had become. And the person I have become is in part because of her and my father, but it's also because of Christ and my involvement in this community, the body of Christ. So we all need someone like that in our lives. But we, there's something else we need to do as well. We need to be that kind of person that I've just described to others. We need to be little Christs, or as Luther said, Christs to one another. So how do we do that? Well, here's my suggestion. Seek someone who is isolated, someone who is going through a rough spell, and just listen. Don't give advice. Don't tell them what to do, but see them as God sees them in and through Jesus Christ. One person. Today, I've posed three questions. The first, why did I choose the prophet Isaiah for our gospel reading? The answer, it reminds us that the gospel can be found in the Old Testament too. We are clothed which is another way of saying God loves us the way an ideal parent loves us. Second, what led Luther to initiate the, the Protestant Reformation, one of the single greatest changes in the course of Western history? It was his experience of being loved by God unconditionally, which he discovered by way of a closer reading of Paul. This was the experience that set him free thanks to the knowledge that righteousness is not something we earn, it's something we're given when God sees us through Christ. This is, in short, God's way of saying we are loved. And this is my message this morning to you. You are loved.
In Jesus' name, amen. Before we confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed, I want to say a word to those who find it difficult to say it. If, for whatever reason, you do not feel confident saying this creed, remain silent and let the church by its faith carry you. There is, moreover, an explanation of the Apostles' Creed uh, on the following page. Read it and see if at the heart of this creed there's something that resonates with you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. For the prayers of the church, you are invited to be seated or to kneel, whichever your preference. Trusting in the good news of God's unconditional love, we offer our prayers for ourselves, our neighbors, and the world God loves. You clothe us with grace and inspire faith in our hearts. Make your church a place of belonging for all people. Grant it a spirit of hospitality. Lord, in your mercy. You sustain the cosmos as the creative essence of all things. Let everything that breathes praise you. Help us be better stewards of all that you have made and keep making. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. You teach us to care for the less fortunate. Give hope and stamina to leaders who work with the most vulnerable. We pray especially for organizations working on behalf of children. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. You sustain all people who, like Simeon and Anna, have been waiting for healing and wholeness. We pray especially for anyone living with cancer or chronic illness, for those recovering from addiction, and for anyone suffering from COVID. Lord, in your mercy, you are the source of joy in our lives, as well as our companion in times of sorrow. Help our community of faith reflect your love to one another. Enable us to be kinder, more welcoming, and more forgiving. Lord, in your mercy. For whom or what else do the people of God pray? Hear our prayer. Holy God, I pray for each person gathered here that you remind them in moments of duress or trial that they are loved. Bless them and keep them. Be with them in moments of joy as well as moments of sorrow. Comfort them, empower them. 
We pray for those today recovering from surgery, for Megan's uncle Randy, for Lisa's mother Eunice, and for Mary. We pray for Kyle with regard to his upcoming surgery. We pray for John and his family in memory of his mother. We pray for Megan's sister Elizabeth, for Charlene and Samuel, for Scott and Bill. We pray for Heidi, for Dennis, for the family of Pat Durham, for the family of Dan, for Jeannie, for Chris and Jackie. We pray for the Ritchie family, for Pat, her sister Donna and niece Kathleen. We pray for Finley. We pray for Richard, Jan, Amatosh, Mulugeta, Jean, Richard, Barb, Denny, and Hildy. Lord, in your mercy. We give thanks for all the beloved who lived with expectation and now rest in you. Sustain us as we long for their presence. Strengthen our hope for the life of the world to come. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Abide with us, O God of mercy, and receive our prayers according to your abundant grace. Amen. Amen. Please rise as you are able. The peace of Christ be with you always. Let us share a sign of that peace with one another. Please rise as you are able for the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your heart. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right our duty and our joy that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you. Almighty and merciful God, through our Savior, Jesus Christ, 
who on this day overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. And deliver us from evil. Kingdom, the power glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. In the Lutheran tradition, as you know, we teach that following Luther, that though God in Christ fills all things, God meets us in a special way where God has been promised, namely the bread and wine of Holy Communion. All in this place of grace are welcome to the table of grace. If you wish to commune from the pew using a communable, I will direct you in a moment. Otherwise, you are invited to come forward and kneel at the railings. If you wish to receive a blessing in place of the Eucharist, simply fold your arms. Glory to God in the highest. Come to the table of peace. You may be seated. For those receiving from the pew, this is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you.
Please rise as you are able for our post-communion prayer. God, our Redeemer, you have fed us at this table with gifts of grace, truth, and life. As you have gathered us in joy, send us forth as messengers of your peace. Make us shine with the good news of your glory, born to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated for announcements. Welcome, one and all, to uh, worship this morning. It is a delight to see you to see you here. Uh, I have several announcements to make, but first, let me invite Kyle forward to say a word. Good morning. I wanted to say thanks, uh, especially to the choir for doing three services in two days, the Patton family, uh, Louise, others who were here to to help. Um, uh, uh, Jimmy and Phoebe were here as well for one of the services. Um, a big team effort to make Christmas happen here. So thank you to everyone who helped with music and with other things to make it all come together. Uh, as many of you know, I was out unexpectedly in November in the hospital, and I will be out for most of January to fix what happened uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you uh, end of the month if all goes, goes according to plan, and I think it will. So thank you all for your, your well wishes and your kindness uh, in November, as well as uh, in the run-up to, uh, to my, little, my little operation this week. Thanks, everyone. And, and also, I want to say thank you to Susan, who wears a lot of hats around here. There's a big concert coming up that you see in the bulletin, and Susan, heading the Worship and Music Committee, is helping tremendously with that. So thank you. Thank you, everyone. At this time, I would like to invite forward Tom and Megan for a farewell and Godspeed. Tom and Megan, if you would come forward, please. Tom and Megan are leaving our congregation. They are moving back to the homeland in Minnesota, and we wish to bid them farewell. Several years ago, I had the good fortune uh, to uh, marry Tom and Megan, and uh, I did so after Megan had become a member of the church, and now I see Tom with her more and more, so you're doing a good thing. The Holy Spirit is working through you. Uh, it has been a delight to know these two. Uh, Megan and I have had numerous theological conversations, and you are exactly the kind of um, Christian I love to be around, somebody who is asking those big questions and, and seeking and wondering. So uh, it has been a delight to get to know you, and Tom, a delight to get to know you as well. Christ received you when you came to this congregation. We rejoice to receive you into our fellowship in the gospel. In this community of faith, you have heard the proclamation of God's word, which reveals his loving purpose for you and for all creation. You have been nourished at Christ's holy table and called to be witnesses to the gospel, which you heard about today. God has blessed you in this fellowship, and he has blessed us through you. We encourage you to continue to receive and share God's gifts in the congregation. Uh, 
you'll land upon when you, uh, when you return as workers with us in the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Eternal God, we thank you for Tom and Megan and for our life together in this congregation and community. As they have been a blessing to us, so now send them forth to be a blessing to others. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's give a round of applause to these two. Yes. Be sure to bid Megan and Tom farewell. Uh, I'm told by Megan that whenever she returns to Seattle, Queen Anne Lutheran Church is her home. We will always be glad to welcome both of you uh, whenever you visit. So thank you for being part of this community. Wanted to share just a few more announcements before we close. First, uh, if you are visiting today or uh, would like to make a prayer request, cards for you are in the uh, pew in front of you. Our worship continues after the service with fellowship. And I believe, uh, Carol Ann, are you hosting? And Carol Ann is hosting that, which is fantastic. A note regarding sewing and service. They will return to meet this Wednesday morning, January 3rd. And then this coming Saturday, January 6th, will be the next installment of Seattle Seekers. Every month, some of us from the congregation come together for meaningful discussion and connection over a light breakfast as we delve into life's big questions and the quest for meaning. This coming uh, um, Saturday, we'll be talking about purpose and what it means to live a life of purpose. Uh, what I love about this group as well is the spectrum. There are folks in the group who are rooted in their Christian faith, and there are folks in the group who are on the fringes of Christian faith. And the point of the group, in, in light of our mission, is to welcome them all to conversation. So if you would like to be part of this group or, so, or know someone who might be interested, uh, please encourage them to attend. That's this coming Saturday at 10 a.m., the Seattle Seekers. There is also a special Ridwell collection today, uh, due today, which is jewelry. You'll see a note about that. We continue to, thanks to Susan once again, uh, receive items for Ridwell. So if you have um, plastic, for example, that can be recycled, there's a little table right out in the narthex, uh, a little uh, cart that you can uh, uh, give to. Uh, coming up on uh, January 21st, we'll be joined by none other than Bishop Shelley Brian Wee from the Northwest Washington Synod. She will be the first to talk about women of the Reformation. This series is in honor of Katie Luther's birthday. She was born on January 29th. So in light of her birthday, we will have a three-session series on women of the Reformation, beginning with Bishop Shelley and then proceeding with Lynn Hofstad formerly of Seattle U, and a big favorite at this church. Last but not least, I want to say something that makes me slightly uncomfortable, but I'm going to trust forward and do it anyway. This morning, I gave the largest donation I've ever given to a church in a single day in the offering plate. My contribution is modest compared to some of the incredible generosity from you. This is the last day that we can make a difference with regard to the 2023 budget. And I would love and pray for us to be in the black and not in the red uh, on January 1st. So if you are moved by the Spirit, I invite you to do likewise. If you are unable at this time, I simply ask that you keep 
Queen Anne Lutheran, this ministry in your prayers as we venture forth for a new year. Are there any other uh, announcements for the good of the congregation? Then please rise as you are able for the blessing. Dear friends in Christ, you are loved. You are loved by that which is greater than you, by that which has ultimately no name, by the mystery beyond mysteries that brought you into being, that sustains you in your being, and that promises to preserve your being in the life of the world to come. Go now into the world knowing you are loved and love others as God in Christ first loved you. May God bless you and keep you. Jesus Christ grant you grace and truth and the Spirit bring you peace now and forever. Amen. Our sending hymn, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, is number 632. Thank you. 